Amazing. Well, there are many times uh, when we read the Gospels that we find what I like to call bridge verses. Bridge verses. The, the, these are verses that are, well, you tend to find between two major uh, stories or gospel stories, <coughs> verses that don't necessarily seem to, or seem that they'll teach us a great deal. As an example, last week we looked at, well, who can remember who, what we looked at last week? Let's throw the onus on you guys. What did we look at last week? Sorry, Joy, what was that? What did Jesus teach? No, it wasn't last week. Oh, sorry, yes, yes, it was. Yeah, okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. You can tell I was paying attention last week. Yes, we were, absolutely. So the sinful woman, Jesus, or, or the situation that happened with Jesus, the sinful woman, and Simon, the Pharisee. And what a powerful, wonderful story that was, and I really hope that was a blessing to everybody as it was to me as I was preparing as the Lord ministers to me in that. So we have stories like that and then next week, as a bit of a plug, Neil is going to be exploring the parable of the sower. So last week was Simon the Pharisee and the sinful woman, next week is the parable of the sower. And the three verses that we're looking at today are found right in the middle, slap bang, between these two important, powerful parables. But these are verses that we can too easily skip over in order to get to the meat of Jesus' teaching and what Jesus is doing, but we would be so wrong to do so. Often we can learn as much about the kingdom of God and the heart of God in the seemingly insignificant passages as we can in Jesus' primary messages in the Gospels. Remember, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuke, for correction and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped, thoroughly equipped, every good work and these in between verses if you will these bridge verses as I like to call them are no different they don't necessarily contain deep doctrinal truths but they do contain truths of the heart and the method of God so if you have your Bibles with me with you Please turn with me to Luke 8, starting chapter 8. We're getting there slowly, aren't we? When did we start chapter 1 in Luke? Was it last January? It's been a while, isn't it? But it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. So Luke 8, uh, starting from verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women 
who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for the privilege that we have this morning to be able to open your word in a safe environment. Many of our brothers and sisters don't get this opportunity. So Lord, we thank you for this gathering today. We thank you for your presence. And Lord, we wait expectant to hear all that you have to minister to us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So there are three truths to this passage, or you could say found in this passage, that I would like to touch on in the time that we have remaining today, which I'm glad is actually a bit longer. So uh, don't worry, don't worry. I won't go on that long. So these truths we can take even though that this is what I call a bridge verse between two major parables, these truths that are found in here, we can take and stand upon as we look to grow closer to God in our own walk, as we look to serve in Jesus's church and be effective in our mission to share the good news of Jesus Christ to all and who, to anyone who has ears to hear. And these three truths are, number one, Jesus models our call to go. Mm, yeah. Jesus models our call to go. Number two, Jesus challenged the social norm. And number three, we are part of the master plan. I can't help but think of an Oasis song when I... Uh, when I say that, we are part of the master plan. Amen. So these three points we're going to look at today, and you may sit there and go, oh, yes, you know, we've already looked at some, some of these things before. Yes, we have. And we will continue to, all the way through the gospel. Because consistently Jesus comes back to the same things. And there's a reason he does that. Because there is fundamental truth in that that he's wanting us to get hold of. So I make no apologies that we go back over things we might have looked at before but we'll do it in a slightly different way. Amen? Amen. Amen. Everyone still with me? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I said to Lindsay on the way up, because I thought, Lindsay, you're on the front row there. I said, don't start throwing things at me. <laughs> All right. Yeah, good to see you. So let's look at point one. Jesus models our call to go. Just to refresh our memory, the first verse of our passage says this. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. We are disciples of Jesus. And as such, our mission and the mission of this church is the same mission that Jesus gave to his very first disciples. We've read this before. That mission is go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father 
and in the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, all that I have commanded you. That is the same mission statement that this church has as well, as every other church should have. Jesus gave this command at the end of his time on earth, just before he went back to heaven. But he modelled, he modelled this for his disciples during the whole of his earthly ministry. Long before he ever told them to go, he modelled it for them. You see, discipleship isn't about filling people's heads with knowledge. That's not what discipleship is, nor is it just giving instruction. Jesus didn't just sit with his disciples. He didn't just sit them down with Wayne Gruden's systematic theology and say, right, eight hours a day for the next three years, we're going to study theology. He didn't do that. Yes, he did teach them. Of course, he taught them really deep biblical truths and kingdom truths, but he had a method in the way he did this. He taught them primarily by doing the work practically whilst his disciples looked on as they watched and as they learned. Yes, he did sit and teach them. We know that. We've seen that already and we will continue to see that. But he mostly set them an example to follow. The method Jesus used is one that I pray will become a foundational method for us at Welcome in the months, weeks, months and years ahead. It's a very, very simple method and some of you have heard me say it in a roundabout way. And it's simply this. I do, we do, you do. Yeah? I do, we do, you do. Jesus' disciples have so far in Luke's gospel travelled with Jesus, watching him, listening to him, learning from him. So Jesus in this instance is in the I do phase. I will do this if you watch me. You watch what I do. You watch how I do it. You learn from what I'm doing. You ask questions, as we know they did. But, in a couple of chapters, and there's a bit of homework for you in chapter 10 of Luke, if you want to go there and read it, not now, but at home, maybe over a cup of tea, Jesus, we will see Jesus will send his disciples ahead of him with the same mission as he came to do. And then what will happen is those disciples will come back and they will, they will tell him everything that had gone on. Jesus, we did this in your name. You see this principle that this second stage is in the we do. Jesus is still on the earth at this point. He's still at the earth. He's like, well, while I'm still here, now you go. You now go and do what, what, 
what I've called you to do. Model what I've done. And as you read in chapter 10, he tells them, do this, do this, don't do that. That's the we do section. And then before his ascension to heaven, Jesus commissions his disciples to go and do everything that he has done and implement everything that he taught. That is the final section. Now you do. This model is so effective at teaching and developing those around us, young and old. But if we, if we just view these bridge verses in a way of just quickly reading through them to get to the next big chunky bit of what Jesus is saying or teaching, we would miss God's method. Just slow down, read every verse, take it all in, absorb it. This method can be applied anywhere in life, in any situation in life. You can apply it with your children. You can apply it in your businesses. It's a model of good leadership. I'm not just going to tell you to go off and do something without giving you any instruction or showing you how to do it. Let me do this. Think of a child teaching them to tie a shoelace. You wouldn't just go, like, well, that's how you do it, and you tell them. You show them. This is how you do it. Let me do it a few times. Now you give it a go while I'm here. Great, well done. And let's give it another go. Great, you've mastered it. Now you can tie your own shoelaces going forward. Off you go. It's the same principle over and over and over again. And it's highly effective at teaching. But if we skipped over that first verse in chapter 8, we would miss God's method. So number two, Jesus challenged the social norm. Something else we get from this bridge verse, or these bridge verses. Again, I shall read uh, the second part of our passage today. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna. It can be very easy to read these verses and not think twice about what's happening. It is not uncommon in our day and age, today in our society, to have men and women working together in various capacities in the kingdom of God. It's not uncommon. It's not something that we would bat an eyelid at, but it was different back then. It was different back then. It wasn't the done thing. As we've looked at before, the, the society of the time, women were treated pretty bad, really. Often staying in the confines of the home, they didn't go, they went out heavily veiled. Often illiterate because the, Jew, uh, the, the, uh, the rabbis wouldn't teach young women to read. Often separated from men in public and uh, private and in religious life. But Jesus was a re revolutionary. We don't like that word. 
but he was. He was a revolutionary. He broke the social norms, which is why we find these three women, Mary, Joanna, and Susanna, part of his, what we can assume, the inner aspect of his discipleship. Because remember, Jesus had many, many disciples. We've seen that before. So who were they? Well, Mary called Magdalene. There's been much said about Mary, both in Christian circles and in the secular world. Broadway hits such as Jesus Christ Superstar and uh, books such as The Da Vinci Code would have us believe that she was married to Jesus. That Mary was a former prostitute. That she may well have been the sinful woman that we read last week in Luke 7. Or the woman that was caught in, in, in adultery. But the truth is, there is no biblical support for any of that. There is no biblical support. That's pretty unfair on Mary, isn't it? Yeah? There's no biblical support for those um, who assume these things of her. What we can say is that Mary was most likely from a place called Magdala, if I pronounce that right, a city on the western shore of Galilee, and it's where we believe that her name is derived from, or that title she's been given, Mary of Magdalene. The only hints we have of Mary's life for sure before she followed Jesus was that Jesus had cast out seven demons from her. That's pretty radical, isn't it? Seven demons, what life must she have led before she met Jesus? Praise God that she did meet Jesus. After she became a disciple of Jesus, we know that she witnessed Jesus' death on the cross. And she was the first person to see him resurrected. Wow, that's a claim to fame. What a claim to fame that would be. She was also most likely the Mary who waited the descent of the Holy Spirit after Jesus had gone to heaven. And apart from that, we don't really know, the Bible isn't that clear on really much else to do with Mary. It's always, it's always important for us to go and check scripture before we assume someone is what others tell us they are. So what about Joanna? We know even less about Joanna, unfortunately. She had obviously been set free from demons or killed from a disease of some sort because our passage tells us so. She was married to Cusa, Herod's household manager, and most likely present at Jesus' crucifixion. And she definitely accompanied Mary to Jesus' tomb because she was the one that runs back, or one of the ones that runs back to tell the apostles that the tomb is empty. So we do see, we do see both Mary and Joanna throughout. What about Susanna? Well, the truth is we don't know a lot about Susanna. Scripture doesn't really tell us a great deal. All we can be sure of 
is that she was set free from demons or she was healed of a disease because again our passage tells us so so we have three prominent female names in our passage today we know very little really about them but and this is the big but god didn't include these three in his word for no reason God always has a plan. He always has a reason. Praise God for that. But before we move on to look at the final point in our passage today and find out the reason why God included these three wonderful women in this passage, I just want to take a moment to encourage us all when it comes to our role as gospel sharers and kingdom advancers, don't be afraid to think outside the box. Don't be afraid to think outside the box. The world around us will often unintentionally, a lot of the time, try and put us into a box in any walk of life. And it does happen in church life. We, 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 find, we align ourselves with a way that it's just always done, been done before. The, if you like, colour inside the lines mentality. But I would encourage you, don't be afraid to think outside the box. Think to yourself, in what ways can you share the good news of the gospel? that has never been done before. It's never been done before. What new initiative, what new program, what new group, what new charity, what new activity is the Lord bubbling in your hearts this morning? A new way to share the truth of the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the hope and the restoration only found through faith alone in him what's the Lord bubbling and what has he been bubbling in your hearts Jesus and his disciples weren't afraid they weren't afraid to challenge the norm they weren't neither should we just because we've done things a certain way for so many years doesn't mean that it has to stay like that. What's God placing on your heart? What new creative ways can you get out there and share the gospel? What new ways can you reach into people's lives and be, be Jesus' hands and feet? <coughs> Think outside the box. As long as it's not illegal, as long as it's not heretical, as long as it aligns with the orthodox teaching in God's word, important things, may as long as it's aligned with Jesus' great commission, I want to encourage you this morning to go for it. We don't want to be unwise with things, which is why I've said those three things there. Legal, heretical, 
make sure each stage of reading the parameters of what God has given us. But think outside the box. Think outside the box. It might just be what the church needs, especially in our current age. And I was also thinking about you youngsters. Think outside the box. What's got bubbling on your hearts? And I'm also speaking to those who would think they're past it. <laughs> You're not. There are people here that are retired. You've got a lot more time on your hands than many others. What can you do? Amen. Point number three. Point number three. We are part of the master plan of God. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, isn't that exciting that we are part that we're in partnership with God? What a wonderful thing. So Mary, Joanna, and Susanna were not just placed into this verse because Luke wanted to show that Jesus had female disciples. That wasn't his reasoning for putting them, for, for placing them here, even though that back then was probably pretty radical. But that wasn't the primary reason. God inspired Luke to place these women in this passage to show us the important role these women played in the ministry of Jesus. Let's read this passage again. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided, here it is, who provided for them out of their means. These women provided and supported for the practical needs of Jesus and the disciples out of their own resources. Their own resources. resources. Such faithfulness. Such faithfulness. Now for Mary and Susanna, we don't know how they came to have the, 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 the means of provision, if I can use those words. Is it possible that they inherited it? Maybe. Is it possible that they had a small business? Also maybe. Wasn't uncommon. Think of Priscilla. She was a tent maker, wasn't she, alongside her husband? Think of Lydia, who, you know, was, was in the business of, of uh, purple cloth, a very expensive commodity back then. So it could be that they had, you know, some side hustles going on. We, we don't know. But they had money. And they had resources. Or they could get access to resources. It wasn't necessarily just money. It could be food and clothing and, you know, other things. But for Joanna, we do have a clue. And the clue is this. We're told that she was married to Kuza, if I pronounced that right. Herod's household manager. They would have had money. 
Now, before she met Jesus, they would, she would have been quite up there in society. She would have been. But, and this really did make me chuckle when I was, uh, when I was thinking this through. If anyone says to me, God doesn't have a sense of humour, I would pass him to this passage. You just think, just think this through with me, just for a moment. Takuza is the household manager of um, Herod uh, Antipas. Is that Antipas? I mean, uh, yeah, Herod. Uh, yes. So Herod the Great, go back to Jesus' birth, when Herod the Great was ruling at the time. Okay? Herod wanted to find Jesus, didn't he? He was threatened by Jesus. Quite probably would have killed him. But as we know, he didn't get his hands on him. Skip forward 30 odd years. Herod the Great's son is now leader in, in Galilee. Okay? And Cusa is his household manager. Cusa's married to Joanna. So where's the money for Jesus' ministry coming from? <laughs> the back pocket. Yeah. The back, the back pocket. Herod. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. God does have a sense of humour. Praise God. We are blessed in this church to have no less than 18 primary ministries. 18 primary ministries welcome who pray prayerfully serve to promote and advance the kingdom of God, both in the church here, in the town around us, and all over the world. All over the world, supporting people like Kate with the incredible work that she's doing. And to disciple and grow God's people here. 18 ministries of dedicated people who we are incredibly grateful for. But ministries require support and means to be able to pioneer, explore, and expand the work they do within God's kingdom. That's just the reality of it. And the way that we do this in today's age is through our tithes and our offerings. Is it not? Just being honest, that's how we fund what we do. If it wasn't for, if it wasn't for everyone's faithful giving in this room, we would not be able to do the things that we have and would we want to do going forward. We wouldn't. We wouldn't. We wouldn't have a building like this. We wouldn't be able to keep the lights on. We wouldn't have chairs to sit on. It's all a blessing. All a blessing. And for that, I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you. Thank you for your faithful giving. Now, one thing that's really important to us, uh, and I know to Barry and the finance team, is, is the faithful and right stewarding of what you give faithfully take that very, very seriously. Very seriously. But we do thank you for what you give. But the same truth is the same as in Jesus' day. 
It's exactly the same. He needed to eat. As so did the disciples. They needed clothes. They needed still those practical, everyday things. And these three faithful women heard the call to support. And they did so. Providing the means for Jesus' mission to carry on and to continue to be as successful and important as it always needed to be. Now God could have provided everything Jesus needed. Of course he can, he's God. He could have provided everything. He could provide, if he wanted to, every single thing Welcome Church needs. Blink of an eye. Like that. He created money, it's all his anyway. But God rarely works like that. He rarely works like that. He likes getting us involved in the work of the kingdom. He looks to us. He provides our means through the jobs we have and what we have in the bank. It all is, is provided through his direction in his sovereignty. And he provides us the opportunities to use those means for his work. Yes, of course we need to live. He gets that. But there's also, he gives that partly to us so that we can help the advancement of the kingdom of God and the work of the church of Jesus Christ. And to help the person on the street. To help that person who hasn't eaten. To help for the practical needs of those who are lost, who are lonely, who are in need. Remember, Jesus had a particular care, a particular passion for the lost and for the lonely and the destitute, as we all should have. But God provides us the opportunities to use the funds he's blessed us with to bless others. And in the process, it helps us to grow as well. There is, there is something incredibly powerful and, and particularly humbling when you're in those moments being able to help and provide someone who is just at the end of their tether. Someone who, you know, has just come out uh, you know, and I remember a particular guy a few years ago in winter, Christmas Day, he walked into the church and he was frozen because he, he was living well. Your heart breaks. But in those moments where you can help, there's something that happens on the inside. There's such a humbling experience. Thank God that we have the means to be able to do things like that. God could help those people like that, but he wouldn't help us, his people, to grow. So he gives us the means and he looks to us to help. And I'm glad that he does. But saying, talking about this last section here, 
John Mark Walkington, founder of the Gospel Patrons, writes this. God the Father could have chosen to provide for his son in a number of ways. God could have chosen for Jesus to be born into a wealthy family, the son of a ruler of some kind. Then all his needs for three years of preaching, teaching and healing would have been taken care of. But that's not what Jesus did. God could have commanded his son to miraculously multiply fish and loaves every day for Jesus and his disciples' lunch. But that's not what he did. This is my particular favourite. Jesus could have turned more Galilean tap water into wine and started the best winery in the Roman Empire. And that business as a mission could have funded his proclamation of the gospel. See, Jesus missed a trick there, didn't he? <laughs> but that's not what God did. Jesus could have had Peter go and catch fish with coins in their mouths each day. One for Caesar, two for the ministry, and on and on. But that's not what Jesus did. When God, the Father, wanted to provide for his son to preach the gospel, he called on believers. In this instance, he called these three faithful, amazing women to step forward in faith and give generously out of their abundance. This is how God works. He rises up some to speak and others to send. Some to go and others to give. Some are called to be preachers and many others are called to be patrons. Do you see? We are God's method. Our faith-filled generosity is the miracle. Amazing. band would like to come up. There's so much we can learn from these three seemingly insignificant Bible verses. But I would encourage you today, take your time on every verse you read in Scripture. Take your time on it. Because there's always a message behind it. There's always a thread that we can find that will give us insight to God's heart and his methods and his ministry of reaching this lost world. Don't skip over the bridge verses. I particularly like, like oh, anyway, I particularly like the, uh, my, my title today. I thought, I thought I was really proud of myself. Don't skip over the bridge. Because <laughs> the truth is you may just miss something really important. You may do. I thank God that through Jesus' example, disciples throughout the generations have a model to follow. Jesus is that model. And Jesus' disciples throughout the New Testament continue that model. As we should continue and will continue that model today. I thank God that Jesus came to break the social norms. He stayed within the parameters 
of his word, as we should. But that doesn't mean we can't look to colour outside the lines of how things have always been and always been done. What's God bubbling on your heart? And lastly, I thank God that through the support of these three amazing women and many others, Jesus had the means and the provision to continue to move forward in advancing the kingdom on earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we, we just love exploring everything you said, everything you did, how you did it, why you did it. Because Lord, we know that there's always a method, there was always a reason why. There was always something for us to learn. We thank you that you are the ultimate leader and that you showed us how and you instructed us in how we should live through yourself and through your disciples. We thank you for your teaching, for the inspiration. Lord, and I know in the past I've been, um, I've been guilty of jumping over these seemingly insignificant verses to get to the, you know, the more meatier passages in your Gospels. But Lord, I thank you that you opened my eyes just to pause and to slow down and to read and to explore because hidden within, Lord, is just such gold. Lord, I pray as we head on into this week, during our own time with you, I pray for your Holy Spirit that you teach us just to slow down, to absorb everything you say. Because Lord, we know that there's not one thing in your word that isn't, that's wasted. We thank you, Lord, for our time that we've had together this morning. We thank you for the worship that we've already had and we will have in a minute. We thank you that we're able to break bread together and to remember the ultimate sacrifice that you made for every person in this room. That you went to that cross. You went through agonising pain. You bore the sins of the world upon yourself so that we may live free this morning. I thank you for your word and what you've taught us. Lord, we thank you for the children upstairs and everything they've been doing. Lord, the fun that they've been having. But it's fun that is founded upon the truth of your word and learning about you, Jesus. Lord, bless those little ones, we pray. The future of your church, Lord, help us, help us to teach them the, the, um, the method, the method, Lord, of teaching, of showing them first and getting them to do it with us and then empowering them to then be able to get off and do what 
do what we've taught them. But Lord, I know, I know that those children can teach us so much as well if we have eyes to see. So thank you for Welcome Church. Thank you for every person that you have brought here. Thank you for every gift that uh, each person has. And we just pray, Lord, that you continue to be our great shepherd, that you continue, Lord, to be the Lord of our hearts as we humbly serve you in all that you call us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.